Today's scripture reading is from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 to 8, and 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Chapter 3, verses 14 and 17. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and thou hast assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. 2 Timothy 1, 3-8 and 3, 4, 14-17. To 2 Timothy, please, chapter 1. 2 Timothy, chapter 1. And we're going to talk today about a victorious mother. Her name is Eunice. You know that Eunice literally means a good victory. You is word good and Nike. Of course, the sneaker. It's, it's the root of Eunice. And Nike means victory. And so Eunice means victorious. So we want to talk about how to be a victorious mom. And I want to put that blessing on the mothers today. That all the mothers can be victorious in Jesus. Let's... Turn in our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we're just going to read verse 5 together out loud. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 5. God's Word says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. And let's pray. Lord, We need the victory that is in You. We thank You for Eunice, the mother of Timothy, and Eunice's mother Lois, who lived victoriously and passed that victory of Jesus on to their son and their grandson. Lord, we pray that our mothers and all of us could live out that good victory as Eunice shows us. Lord, we confess we are strangers and pilgrims on this earth. We seek a better country that is a heavenly, where we will be with You for all eternity. But until then, Lord, help us to walk even as we just heard the footprints of Jesus, that we would live in such a way as to glorify and please You in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to speak to you today on a victorious mom from Eunice, her name meaning victory. Aren't icebergs awesome? I've never seen an iceberg in person. 
But I saw this picture of this beautiful iceberg that was so, that had literally the ship could pass right through the center of it. Do you know they say that 85 to 90 percent of the iceberg is actually underwater? We only see a small percentage of it. And what's very interesting as well about these icebergs is that these icebergs will move in one direction while the ice flows on top of the water will move in the opposite direction. So ice flows will move one way, but the iceberg will move in another direction. That's really interesting. As these ice flows on top are moving one way, the iceberg is being directed slowly in another way. And that's a very good illustration for us as Christians. That we're often moving against the popular, shallow currents of the world. There's always ice flows moving all around us. And we might want to wonder, should I move in that direction of this popular fad or that fickle fancy? Should I be controlled by this way of thinking and move there? Or must I and ought I not be controlled by a deeper movement? The way the icebergs themselves are so moved. See, we as Christians, we should not be controlled by the shallow currents of our culture. But we must be moved by the deep current of the Word of God and of God Himself. And to be truly victorious, I want to just share three simple things today for a victorious mom to be moved and to be led, directed by the deep moving of God in your heart. And this is for all of us, actually. This is the Christian life. Do you get the message today? We're not to be moved by every wind of doctrine that we hear. We're to be victorious by letting His purposes, His deep purposes, His deep will, His deep Word, the undercurrents of God Himself so direct our steps. And there's three things. The first thing is, we must live with an unfeigned faith. The text tells us right here. It says, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned And that's literally the unhypocritical faith of of Eunice and of Lois that was passed on to Timothy. We, We get our word hypocrite actually from that word unfeigned. There was no hypocrisy in Eunice. She had a saving faith. A sincere faith. An unfeigned, genuine. She had a real, genuine faith in her heart. And that faith is what moved her. And that's how we need to be moved in this life. Her faith was undisguised. I like that word. There was no disguise. You know, the idea of a hypocrite is oh, you wear a mask. There was, there was no disguise in Eunice and Lois. They were true. They were transparent. They were open. They were bold. I actually found three things in the New Testament that are not to be hypocritical. Three character traits in the New Testament that are without hypocrisy. One is wisdom, James 3.17. 
Another is love, Romans 12, verse 9. And the third is faith. So in wisdom and faith and love, there should not be hypocrisy. What's interesting, and we'll see this later, but Eunice was Jewish. But her husband was a Gentile, not Jewish. So I wondered... Did Eunice live out her Jewish faith? Or maybe she got discouraged and defeated spiritually as a follower of God under the Mosaic Law. And not only did she marry a Gentile or a Greek, and it says that we'll look there later, Lord willing, in Acts 16, but her son Timothy wasn't circumcised. So that really led me to think, because circumcision was absolutely essential for every Jewish boy. If you were following in the Mosaic Law and living under the law, you circumcised your boy on the eighth day. So Eunice both married outside of her faith, and she, married, she didn't circumcise her own son. It leads me to think that something spiritually happened to her, and she had set herself outside of Judaism. But something else happened. And perhaps it was when the Apostle Paul went to her town on his first missionary journey and she heard the Gospel. And she called on Jesus Christ and she confessed Him as her Savior. And she got a true faith, an unfeigned faith, that now led her to live for Jesus Christ. An unfeigned faith was in Eunice. And also what's very interesting, and I thought about this in the middle of the night, I was awakened. With Galatians chapter 1, where Paul said to the Galatians, I marvel that you are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ to another Gospel. Now, why would I attach Galatians 1 to Eunice? Because she lived in Galatia. She lived in a town called Lystra, where Paul went on his first missionary journey. And Paul, after that missionary trip, wrote back to the church, and some had left the faith. They had embraced a false gospel, which is any other gospel than the gospel of Jesus Christ, that He died on the cross, was buried and rose again, is not a gospel. It's, it's, a, it's a lie. And Paul said, I marvel you so soon removed from Him for another gospel, which is not another. For there's only one gospel, Paul said in Galatians 1. But the point is, is Eunice didn't depart. She had an unfeigned Sincere faith. Now, notice what else it says about her faith in that verse. Though, look carefully. It says, The unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice. Did you see the word there? Where was this faith? What does it say? Paul says it, it what? It dwelt. Don't skip over that word. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, this faith dwelt. It abode deeply in her inner woman. Deep inside, I put on our, in our notes. 
This unfeigned faith was lived sincerely, genuinely, and it was deep in her. She would not be moved in another direction any longer. She was going to be moved by the deep working and purpose and will and love of God for her soul. And you know, I found, like I found three types of unhypocritical characteristics, I found three things that dwell in us that are good. And one is right in our text, in our, or this chapter, Second Timothy, look at verse 14, chapter 1, verse 14. What dwells in us? Look at that verse, you can answer me. In 2 Timothy 1.14, and Angelica, you were right on, on it, right there. What dwells in us, Angelica? The Holy Spirit dwells deep in us. Hallelujah! Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit dwells in us? To move us. And so that we're not going to be shaped by the, and be conformed to this world, but we're going to be shaped into the image of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. Colossians 3.16, do you know what dwells in us there? That the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. The Word of God dwells in us as believers. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. And as the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, then we have that faith holding on to the Word of God and walking with the Holy Spirit of God. Those three things dwell deeply in us. The Holy Spirit the Word of God, and faith. So I read the story of a young preacher. He was trained by Harry Ironside. I don't know if you've ever heard of Harry Ironside, but he's written commentaries on like most of the Bible. He was the pastor for many years of the Moody Church where D.L. Moody had started. Harry Ironside. Harry Ironside was, was trained a young man to preach named Fred Elliott. And then after a few years, Fred started going out and preaching on his own. And Fred Elliott was preaching one week a revival meeting in a small Baptist church in Portland, Oregon. This is in 1918. And on Monday night of that meeting, a pretty blue-eyed girl came into the church. But there was a boy walking alongside her. And he thought, boy, that, that young man is the elect. He got a prize. She's a pretty girl. But then the next night, she came back to the meeting with another young man walking alongside her. And then on Wednesday night, she came back again with another young man. She's trying to get these boys saved. And then Fred Elliott said, well, I think I'm in business. I'm going to ask her out. So they began to talk, and he asked if he could see Clara home, and they began to see one another and correspond, and two years later, they were married. And here's a picture of their family. They had three boys and a girl, and one of their sons, his name was Jim, Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot famously said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And Fred and Clara raised up their son Jim and their other children for the Lord. Jim was six weeks old when he went to church for the first time. And he never quit after that. 
And Clara, Jim's mom, said, I don't think it hurts any child to sit quiet through an adult meeting. It's good for his nerves. And they said, both Fred and Clara agreed. As for any foolishness about forcing religion down their throats, we haven't the slightest worry. They wanted their children to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they shared the Gospel and read the Scriptures with them in their home and brought them to church. And when Jim was six years old, he was saved by the grace of God. And of course, he grew up and he went to the mission field. And there, along with four other men, while trying to bring the Gospel to the, what, were, what were called then the Alka Indians, then later on they were named the Horani Indians, Jim gave his life as a martyr for the Lord as a young man in his 20s. But they were raised up for the Lord and given over to God. I think there's something happening with this. It's, it's making... A... So we have to be moved. We are going to be moved in this world. What's going to move you? We must be moved by an unfeigned faith. And then the second thing I want us to see is we must be moved by the unfailing Word of God, the unfailing Scripture. So just go over a few chapters where, although Eunice and Lois are not mentioned by name, they are referenced here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse number 14. We must be moved. Remember that great iceberg I was telling you about at the beginning of the message? How the small ice flows in one direction while the mighty iceberg flows in another direction. And I said the reason is simple. The small ice flows are subject to the waves and wind on the surface. But the iceberg is controlled by the deep, powerful currents of the ocean. And so we ought to be controlled by the deep, powerful currents of our great God. Not only by unfeigned faith, but by the unfailing Scripture. The Scripture is the Word of God. The Bible is true. The Word of God will not fail you. You seek to bring up your children for the Lord. The Word of God will not fail you. You're trying to figure out what direction to go in your life. God's Word will not fail. God's Word is forever settled in heaven. The world will mock us. The world will tell us we're crazy. They'll tell us we are brainwashed. Just let them know you're blood washed with the blood of Jesus. And you're not brainwashed with all the propaganda of this world. Look what he says, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, but continue thou. And so that's the message to you. Continue thou. You've come this far by faith. Don't stop. Continue thou, he says, in the things which you have learned and has been assured of. Notice now what he says. Continue in God's Word. And he says, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now that no doubt refers to Paul. But I believe first it does refer to his godly mother and his grandmother, to Eunice that victorious mom, and to Lois. Continue thou in the things you have learned, and you can be assured of them because of the character of the One who has taught you. 
Now, I just want to say something that's very important. Because we are getting different messages today. Current. We're getting currents on the surface. And I want to say this based on the Bible. That when you have a child before God, that child is your child. That child is no one else's child in this world but yours. And we are responsible for that child. Train up that child in the way of the Lord. And I could look at many Scriptures, but tonight we're going to be in Genesis 21. And I was, when I was reading there, we won't turn there, but three times in Genesis 21, right when Isaac was born to Abraham and Sarah, God says three times, He is your son. Your son, Abraham. He was no one else's son. He wasn't the son of the government. He wasn't the son of the school. The schools today are taking, trying to take over our children. Our children are not the public school's children. They're your children. This is not a political statement. But our president recently said, listen to this, there's no such thing as someone else's child. Okay, there's no such thing as someone else's child. Your child is not my child. My child, my children are not yours. They're mine. My wife and I had them. If someone says there's no such thing as someone else's child, that, that statement is just wrong. I'm not going to go along with it. And then he went on to say, our nation's children are all our children. That's what they're trying to say. You know what, beloved? The family is so broken down today. And so many children are swimming without loving direction in the home, without a loving dad or without a loving mom. And the nuclear family, of course, has really become so destroyed that the government will try and is seeking to insert itself into the place of the parent. And many times, maybe, maybe children need that help. But beloved, your children are your children. And we need to be responsible. Remember when God told Abraham, take now thy son, your only son, Isaac, and offer him as a sacrifice. Nobody could tell Abraham not to do that because God told him to do it and that son was Abraham's. Even if they thought Abraham was absolutely nuts for doing such a thing. No school can take the place of a loving home. The government is not responsible to feed our children, to teach our children. Now, if a parent makes the decision to put their child in a, in a public school, that's between the parents and God. And that's fine. But then we all have to monitor and see what's going on. Or if a parent decides to homeschool, that's fine. That's the parent's decision. If a parent decides to teach, bring their children to a Christian school, that, whatever the parent decides, that's their decision. But I'm saying that the children are the, belong to the parents. And that's under attack today. So we need to be moved by the deep currents of God's Word. That's just one example. Notice what he says in verse 15, 2 Timothy 3, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. That word child is used for both 
a very infant child. You can look it up. That word child is used for an infant child, but it's also used for a child in the womb, for an unborn child. And the Bible is so crystal clear about this as well, that life begins at conception, and what is growing in the womb of a mother after conception is a child, a life. And he says, and that from a child... You know, my wife and I, we took that very literally so that when our children were in the womb, we, we read the Scripture over them. When they were in the womb, we, I laid my hands on my wife's beautiful belly and prayed over them and sang to them. And yes, they can hear what's going on even in the womb. We know that now. And they respond to things. So he says, and that from a child, we can begin to take the Word of God even from the womb and teach the Word of God to our children. While they're young. And Timothy had known the Scripture from his parents, from a child. And notice what it's called in verse 15. It's called what? A holy book. A holy book. One of the great mothers throughout history, famous mother is Susanna Wesley. She had 19 children. So she said, if I'm going to have so many kids, I better get some rules. (laughs) So she had 16 rules. You go Google all of them. I I, I recommend all the parents Google Susanna Wesley's 16 rules. Charles Wesley, or John Wesley, said of his mother Susanna, who influenced him so greatly for God, John Wesley said, I learned more about Christianity from my mother than all the theologians in England. And you know, mom, just because you can't preach or be a pastor of a church, it doesn't mean you can't influence pastors and the next generation. I love some of Susanna's house rules. I, I'm just, I just put a few of them up here for you to look at. Look at that first one. She said, subdue self-will in a child and thus work together with God to save the child's soul. He said, uh, one of her rules, teach him to pray as soon as he can speak. Here's another one. Require all to be still during family worship. Here's another one. Give him nothing that they cry for. Only give that when it's asked for politely. That's a good rule, isn't it? Here's another one. To prevent lying, punish no fault which is first confessed and repented of. So if your child comes to you and confesses a sin... If they did something wrong or told a lie or stole something in the past, he said, don't punish them for that. If they come confess it, just pray over them that they wouldn't do it again. But then never allow a sinful act to go unpunished. Never punish a child twice for a single offense. That's good. Good wisdom. Commend and reward every good behavior. Reward good behavior. How about this one? I like this one. Any attempt to please, even if poorly performed, should be commended. Isn't that, that's beautiful. Commend your child. Build them up. Hug them. Encourage them. Reward them when they are seeking to obey. And then strictly observe all the promises that you make to your child. If you promise your child 
And that could be you promised them that you were going to spank them the next time they lied. Guess what you should do? Give them a loving spanking. Because her last rule is teach children to fear the rod. And on the other hand, you know, if you promise your child that you're going to take them somewhere or give them something, if they do a particular, then you keep that promise. Keep the promises you make to your children. So the Bible is a holy book. Let your children learn the Word of God from you. From a child, you have known the Holy Scriptures. But not only that, the Bible is a saving book. And I've got to move real quick here, but I have something so important to say. Notice what Paul says. The Scriptures are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now I want you to go real quick. Go over to Acts chapter 17. And I want to just look at a couple verses there. And here's the point I want to make. Dear moms... Really, if you don't get anything else I say, could you please get this? When you teach your children the Bible, teach them how the Bible is such a miracle that it teaches about Jesus Christ from the first verse of the Bible to the last verse of the Bible. That Jesus' name is the Word of God. And that the Old Testament is about Jesus Christ And the New Testament is about Jesus Christ. The Old Testament tells us that Jesus Christ is coming. And the New Testament tells us that He came and He's coming again. It's not like just the New Testament tells us about Jesus. Paul actually says that the Scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation. And he's generally referring to the Old Testament. Now, there was some New Testament Scripture. But generally, he's speaking about the Old Testament. So I'm saying, moms and dads, teach the miracle of the Bible. That all Scripture points to Jesus Christ. Teach them about creation and that Jesus is the Creator. Teach them about the stories, but show them Jesus in those stories. Like Abraham offered up his son Isaac. And Isaac is a type of Jesus Christ offered up for our sins. Show them the miracles of the Bible. How Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness. And people were healed when they looked at that serpent. But what did that serpent was a, t- was a type of who? Jesus. Show them Jesus. This is a miracle. See, the Bible isn't just a a book you read one time. Oh, I read the Bible once. I I know that, you know. I've actually had people tell me that. Oh, yeah, I read the Bible once. I, I, I got that. You missed Jesus if you didn't become saved. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Acts chapter 17. Paul is actually on this missionary journey. And guess who's with him? Timothy is with him. And and I just want to read these couple verses and show that the Old Testament shows Jesus Christ. So Paul is preaching, and it says in verse 2, and Paul, as his manner was, and he was going into the synagogue of the Jews. So what what was he speaking out of in the synagogue? He's speaking out of what we would call the Old Testament. The Jewish people call it the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scripture. And so he says he reasoned to them out of the Scriptures. Verse 3, can you read it with me? It says, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. So he was showing from the Old Testament 
that the Messiah had to suffer and rise again. He was leading them to salvation through Old Testament Scripture. So the Scripture is able to make us wise unto salvation. But the good news for us is, we have the New Testament that is so clear of salvation. So teach your children how they can know Jesus Christ. How they can have their sins forgiven. How they can be sure they're on their way to heaven through Jesus. The Bible is a saving book. And just real fast here, the Bible is an inspired book. I won't even say much about it. But you know that famous verse. What an amazing verse. 2 Timothy 3.16 The only time this word is found even in the New Testament, inspired or inspiration. All Scripture is given by inspiration. The very breath of God. God breathed. That means if God breathed it, if God breathed out the Word, can the Bible lie? No, God's not a liar. So if the... the inspiration of Scripture, which is the God-breathed power of Scripture, proves the inerrancy of Scripture. That it's without what? Error. Inerrancy means without error. What does inerrancy mean? Without error. The Bible is inerrant. It's without error. It's an inspired book and it's profitable. Notice it says in that verse, it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, unrighteousness, and the Bible is sufficient. It's sufficient that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Notice where it says there that the man of God might be perfect. And then literally he uses the same root word in the original language, so you can even read it, that the man of God might be perfect, perfectly furnished. Or you could say, He's complete, that the man of God might be complete. Super complete. That the man of God might be equipped. Super equipped. The Word of God equips us and soups us up. You know, some guy, this isn't a Mother's Day illustration, but I have to throw, you know, some guys like to soup up their cars, you know what I'm saying? They like to get a car and they like to lift up the wheel. I, I, I don't do any of that. You know, you know, they like to do all these fans. They like to soup it up, you know. Super equip it. Well, in a way, the Word of God soups us up and gets us ready to run through this world and run the race for Jesus and fight the battle for Jesus and pass the tests. And the last thing I'll say is we need to live not with just an unfeigned faith. And not by only the unfailing Scripture. But we need to live with an unselfish compassion. So go to Acts 16 for our last passage where Timothy is mentioned here along with his mother in Acts chapter 16. Now notice the picture I have up here. Do you know what this picture is? Trying to illustrate... What's happening in that picture? How about this one? This is a little clearer. What's happening there? Paul was being, remember, Paul was being stoned. You know when that happened? That happened in Acts 14, and it happened in Lystra, the hometown of Eunice and Timothy, where Paul was stoned. But before they stoned him in Lystra, what, remember what happened? Paul had healed a paralytic man, and the people thought Paul and Barnabas were gods. Remember that? 
And so this is some pictures where they were literally going to, they were going to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas as if they were some deity. I think Jupiter something. But then shortly after that, so no, just, just check out, this is human nature. Check it out, human nature. One minute, they want to worship Paul. The next minute, Jewish people come into town and turn them all against Paul and they want to do what? St- join in this, stoning them. That's how fickle man is. You see, the, the currents of, of culture can shift so quickly. We're not to be moved by the currents of culture but by the Word of God. And so, this was the community that that Timothy was raised in, in Lystra. And maybe after Paul preached and then was stoned and dragged out of the town like a piece of garbage and left for dead, maybe, and then when he got back up, you know what Paul did? He went right back into Lystra. And he preached. They're like, he's, whoa, I thought he was dead. I don't know when Timothy was saved, but I'm sure that made an impression upon him. Maybe he was saved then. I don't know. And then Paul left Lystra, and he went to Derby. and guess where he went after he went to Derby? He went back to Lystra. So I thought, man, Lystra got Paul three different times. They got him before he got stoned, and then he got stoned, and he went back. That was the second time. He left, he went to the other town, and then he went, I'm going back to Lystra. I'm going back to that place that stoned me. So, somewhere along the line, Timothy got saved, as well as his mother. And, and now, he comes back on the second missionary journey, Acts chapter 16. Look what it says, Acts chapter 16. Then came he to Derby and Lystra. Now, this is that area of Galatia. Paul, in his first missionary journey, went throughout Galatia. And he wrote a book of the Galatians to this area, to Derby and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. So he was saved on the second missionary journey. The son of a certain woman. Who's that woman? That victorious mom, Eunice. And this woman, which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek. I mentioned that to you earlier in the message. Which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him. Paul said... I see character and strength. I see Timothy would be a fellow soldier of Jesus Christ with me. Could he travel with me? He wants to know. And he asked, maybe he asked Eunice and, and Lois. Could, and maybe he asked the father. Maybe he was dead at that time. I don't know. But Timothy is wanted by Paul to come on his missionary journey to serve with him. He would have forth to go with him. And he took him, he circumcised him because of the Jews to kind of just eliminate any controversy about that. And Timothy joined with Paul. It's an amazing thing. And so, now think of this. Paul had gone through a lot of persecution already. And now, Eunice is giving her son Timothy to go out with Paul she's probably thinking, I may never see him again. He might get thrown into prison for the rest of his life. Maybe he'll get stoned. Maybe he'll be martyred. Remember, James has already been martyred for his faith. Stephen had been killed for his faith. There was persecution in every one of those towns. 
And they probably knew firsthand about the stoning of Paul in Lystra. And now, Eunice, can, will you give Timothy up for the Gospel? Will you give Timothy up for the glory of God? Will you give your son for the proclamation of the truth of Scripture? What's that song? It says, give up your sons to tell the message glorious. And so Eunice chose God's will and God's glory as a higher priority than personal comfort. She mustn't have been an American. And as I close, this reminds me of another great mother in history. The mother of the great missionary to China, Hudson Taylor. He had a godly mother, Amelia. Amelia prayed for Hudson Taylor's salvation and then encouraged him along the way to go to China as a missionary. Hudson Taylor had a a very unusual burden for China that put his life in great danger many, many times. He didn't want to just go to the outskirts of China. He wanted to take the gospel into the heart, into Midland, into the heart of China, where there could be, and there were, a lot of trials and persecutions in his life. And Hudson Taylor writes in the great book, The Story of Hudson Taylor, he writes of the moment when he is sitting in the ship called the Dumfries. It's September 19, 1853. And he writes of that moment when he goes into the little room where he is going to spend the next six months of his time as they're taking passage and taking that ship from, from England to China. It was going to take six months by boat. And he writes of this moment where they go into that room, into the ship, for a final service and a prayer together. And I'll just read it. He said, Never shall I forget that day, nor how she went with me into the cabin that was to be my home for nearly six long months. With a mother's loving hand, she smoothed the little bed. She sat by my side and joined in the last hymn we would sing together before parting. We knelt down and she prayed the last mother's prayer before parting. The last mother's prayer I was to hear before leaving for China. Then notice was given that we must separate. We had to say goodbye, never expecting to meet again on earth. For my sake, she restrained her feelings as much as possible. We parted. She went to shore, giving me her blessing. I stood alone on deck, and she followed the ship as we moved toward the dock gates. And we passed through the gates, and the separation was nearly complete. Never shall I forget the cry of anguish wrung from my mother's heart. When she cried, and it went through me like a knife. I never knew so fully until then what God so loved the world meant. And I'm quite sure my precious mother learned more of the love of God for the perishing in that one hour than in all her life before. Let's stand together as we pray. I say, live by an unselfish compassion. Have a compassion for the lost, dear moms. Be moved. Be moved deeply. 
with a compassion for sinners that are lost. Don't be moved by the changing currents of time and culture. Be moved by the great purposes of God with unfeigned faith. By the unfailing Scripture with unselfish compassion. That's a victorious mom. Hudson Taylor concluded what I just read to you by saying, Oh, how it must grieve the heart of God when He sees His children indifferent to the needs of that wide world for which His beloved, His only Son, suffered and died. It grieves the heart of God, Taylor said, when the Lord sees us as indifferent And do you know why? Because if we're indifferent to the needs of the world, if we're not being moved by our faith and by the Scripture and by compassion for the world, we're being moved by the elements of current fancy of this life. Let's be moved by the Lord. How many say, Pastor Matt, I want to be victorious in my life. Not just mothers, all of us. How many would say, Pastor Matt, I want to be victorious in my life and I want to live by an unfeigned faith. I want to live by the unfailing Scripture. I want to live with the unselfish compassion for the world. Can I see your hand today? Is that your heart? Just put it up in the, in the air and let me pray over you a blessing. That God, I pray that each one with their hands up to you, Lord, it's because we have need. It's because... We're weak. It's because we must and depend on You. And often we fail. Even as our dear sister shared earlier, she, she felt her insecurities and her failings and frailties. And, and so do I, Lord. I feel them every day as a father, as a pastor, as a Christian. But Lord, here we are, God. We're depending on You. And we want to live by faith. And we want to live in obedience to Your Word. And we want to have a love. A love for those around us, Lord. And I just put that blessing on our dear people today. Fill us with your spirit for this end. You can put your hands down. How many would say, Pastor Matt, I'm not sure I'm saved, but today I, I know I need Jesus Christ as my Savior. Would you pray for me, Pastor? Is there anyone like that? Can I pray for you? Say, I'm not sure that if I were to die today that I'd go to heaven. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you or anything. I just want to pray for you, though. Is there anyone like that? Can I just pray for you as we close today? So now, Lord, if there is anyone here that is not fully trusting in your finished work, I pray that you'd open up their hearts that they would be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.